All right, welcome back to the Comic Obsessive Podcast. Uh, this is our third episode, and I think we are now getting around to kind of the focus of this podcast, which was taking these issues that um, we have read over the years and just uh, summarizing and analyzing and just kind of having fun looking back at old comics. So the one that we are starting with is Fantastic Four number 236. And so this is old school. This is uh, the 20th anniversary of the Fantastic Four. So uh, this one has quite a bit of age on it, but it's a great story um, with great art. But it is Fantastic Four. So, Jason, what are your thoughts? What's your experience? Um, any any thoughts on the Fantastic Four? What what you got? Yeah, yeah. So, episode three, Revenge of the Sith, I think is what I'm going to call today's episode. Uh-huh. Or maybe it, it should be Terror in a Tiny Town because that's the name of the issue. Yeah. Um, I I was really curious to kind of check out what you would lead out with as far as the issues that we're talking about. It's it's nice to be on format, but I also love that we kind of took a sidestep to talk about the convention last time. Uh, and I got to tell you, my history with Fantastic Four, like many of my explorations in comics, comes through media, television, action figures. I think I mentioned on our very first podcast way back in the day that uh, I got started with DC Comics. But, you know, talking with you, recounting my history with comics, I've been thinking about what when was it that I really got into Marvel Comics? And I think it was late 80s, early 90s. Uh, you know, at that point, DC Comics had kind of taken off with their branding. And I started to kind of see, you know, the action figures with Fantastic Four, some of the animated series stuff that came out. So I remember reading some of the more, at the time, in the early 90s, some of the more modern stuff, but uh, really hadn't taken a classic look, like a look through the classics as much. So 236 was a really nice one to dig into. And, you know, when I first started reading it, I won't give away too many spoilers just yet, although I'm sure we'll give away some spoilers for the issue. Uh, when I first started reading it, I thought, well, this is this is the origin story, but this is strange. It's issue 236 and then i realized you know with terror in a tiny town there's more going on to the story and just to kind of summarize it really quickly here um you know the the fantastic four kind of having these dreams and it seems as though their origin story is a little different it seems as though their lives have turned out differently but there are events that happen in the book that lead you to actually understand what's going on because it's an evil plot. I mean, I have to have to do that with evil plot. Um, so that's a long-winded answer to your question, but a uh, little, little history there, which I'll be glad to talk more about. And I know we'll dive into more particulars of the summary of the issue and, and things like that. But what inspired you? You know, you had thousands upon thousands of issues that, that we could have chosen first. What drew you to this particular book well for one thing i listen to a lot of comic podcasts and i never have heard this one really reviewed or critiqued or talked about um you know they come out with a lot of epic collections now marvel has a lot of epic collections and through those epic collections a lot of the issues will get reviewed and discussed or just other podcasts in general will talk about comics i've never really heard this one i'm sure you know it's probably out there somewhere 
But um, so I knew that this one, from what I understood, had not been talked about yet on a podcast. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of dive into something that we weren't borrowing from someone else. Um, but besides that, this one has just always stood out to me as a as just a great story. And I would say it's probably one of the things uh, that got me into John Byrne's Fantastic Four run. I, did, I was I read this issue and I was just hooked from the beginning with it. And so I, I have a long history with the Fantastic Four, enjoying their stories. Um, and to me, this is just one of the best. This is Byrne at like his height of storytelling and art. And I just find it such a great, fun issue. I just wanted to talk about it. So, Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, classic kind of look, too. Like we've yeah. talked a little bit outside of the podcast about diving into classic comics. And you know, every now and then I'll go on Comixology and pull up something from back in the day and kind of look through it. And there's certainly, there's this appeal to the way that a, a classic older comic kind of looks on the screen and, you know, the, the colorful nature of the comics, seeing these characters in so, sort of their original iterations is kind of interesting because they've taken so many branches over the years. You have the actual, you have the physical copy where you are. Yeah. Yeah. I have the physical copy and it, it just, it feels so good. It is like this 20th anniversary, so it's extra thick. It cost a dollar back in, let's see, 1981. Uh, so that was you know quite a bit of money for 1981 for a comic. Um, I forget exactly where they would have fallen, probably about 40 cents maybe for an issue back then, something like that. Uh, but just to feel the original issue. Uh, and one thing I'll, I'll make note of is that I think I got this issue from a comic store that was in the mall in Wilkes County. I think it was a store called Rated Rookies. Um, but the cover of it, if anyone out there is listening, check out the cover of 236 because it has all of these Marvel heroes on it. It's got Stan Lee up there in the upper right-hand corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they're not in the issue. It's more kind of like, hey, we're celebrating that, you know, you've made it 20 years. But here is something that kind of struck me. So when I bought this issue, and I guess it would have been mid-90s when I bought it, because uh, I'm not old enough to have bought it off the stands in 81. But I bought it as a back issue. And, you know, now when I look at this cover, it strikes me that um, – there's 41 characters uh-huh. on this cover. And I know that because when you flip through the original issue, there's like, a, in case you just joined us and it's talking about the history of the FF, it's got a, a note on our special feature. And then underneath it is like a key to the characters on the cover. Oh, nice, nice. And the funny thing is, out of the 41 characters on this cover, Stanley being one of those 41. Um, I think I counted maybe two, maybe three characters who have not been represented in a major Hollywood film. Oh, yeah. Either they they already have or they will be very soon. And that just blows my mind. (laughs) Because when I bought this in the 90s, 
he had nothing. You know, there just were no movies. And so now just to see that all these have been represented on, on the big screen, most of them in such a fun, great way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's crazy to me. It's crazy. They're, they're done so well. And there's my LinkedIn media again. Like I remember watching the old Spider-Man show, you know, and the, the live action TV show. And I would see it on like reruns or whenever I could. Um, but yeah, they, they are done so well in modern adaptation. And I mean, of course, we now have John Krasinski, I'm assuming, taking over the role of Reed Richards. I don't think that has been officially announced. But yeah, just just getting to kind of tap into these stories and uh, sharing that with the next generation is cool. But then also having some really well done representations in the film. Uh, big thing, I see the Submariner over there in the corner, big fan of what they're about to do with that character. And oh yeah. The new Black Panther movie. Uh, super interesting. I know not everybody's into that uh, particular adaptation with kind of the Mayan aspect that they're taking, but I think that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. But yeah, the that's kind of the fun thing for me is thinking about what got me into these characters. You know, when was the first time I met Mr. Fantastic? Yeah. And I want to say it was like the Toy Biz 1990 action figure where you had like the little hand that you could pull out and extend. Oh, yeah. And that's how I met a lot of the X-Men, too, through those action figures and through that line, because comics just were not available quite as much and to quite the degree where I lived as some of the toys were. And so yeah. then getting back to kind of going through issues, figuring out who characters are, kind of seeing who they are beyond the trading card is uh, really really a cool thing to get to do and then you know in this issue the character that stands out to me probably more than a lot of them just in the dynamics of the storyline is ben Grimm. yeah and and getting to kind of know some of his pathos as a character you know he's kind of the tragic character of the thing um and again kind of going to the summary like these are characters that get to explore what life would have been like through dreams if their origin story had been a little bit different. And it yeah. turns out, uh, should I give away like who's, who's behind all of this? Whenever you want to, we'll, we'll yeah. do a, a little summary of it. So whenever you want to, yeah. You want so to do, you want to do the John Byrne thing first, or you want to do the summary first? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Tell us about, tell us about John Byrne because you know more, way more of the background uh than i do about all that and john Byrne, if you're out there listening we looked at your website and wanted to contact you to be part of this but we couldn't figure out how so sending love your way um and yeah tell tell us a little bit about john Byrne, please so john Byrne started uh his comic career in the 70s at charleston uh, comics, doing some things like uh, E-Man, not He-Man, not Masters of the Universe. No but, H. Yeah, no no H, just E-Man. And then uh, there was another one, what was it? Uh, Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch. So, you know, he got his start with Humble Beginnings, but uh, Chris Claremont read some of his stuff and said, you know, I really want you to illustrate some of the stories I'm writing. And so that kind of started his career with Marvel. He started with Iron Fist and then he went to the Champions and then he went to Marvel Team Up and he did a few issues of Marvel Team Up. Uh, seems like it was in like this, 
not the 1960s, but like the number uh, numbers of the 60s in, in Marvel team up, like 60, 61, 62, something like that. And then, um, you know, they kind of captured lightning in a bottle when uh, they both started working on X-Men together. Mm -hmm. So John Byrne worked on X-Men from 108 to 143. He did with Chris Claremont, the Dark Phoenix saga, Days of Future Past, and just a lot of really classic issues of X-Men. It's what the Dark Phoenix saga is what pulled me into John Byrne's art and X-Men in general. Um, so it was very much a uh, collaboration working with Chris, Chris Claremont on the X-Men. And then I think he just, I think he butted heads too many times with uh, Chris Claremont. My understanding is that, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard the story that there's one panel in an issue of the X-Men where Colossus is kind of, John Byrne has drawn him casually uprooting a tree, get, getting rid of a tree. They're like clearing the grounds of the Xavier Institute, you know, and he casually does it, but Chris Claremont writes that it was a struggle or that Colossus had to strain or something like that. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, and I don't know if that's true, but you know, I guess if you really care about these characters, and you write them and, and you draw them in a certain way, you want them shown in a certain way, I guess it was frustrating for him. And so uh, he was off of the X-Men and that's when he comes to Fantastic Four. And he was on Fantastic Four for a really long time, from 232 to 295. So that's several years of Fantastic Four. And he brought, when he was uh, doing Fantastic Four, he took the Invisible Girl and made her more uh, powerful, <laughs> made her, her own woman, and she became the invisible woman, so the invisible girl. So a nice little, you know, bit of feminism there, I, I suppose, uh, to give her uh, a stronger role in the FF. Um, I was also going to say that while he was doing X-Men, he, he penciled some issues of Avengers and Captain America. And that's kind of incredible. Usually a, a writer can write, you know, whatever, two, three, four issues, uh, four different comics a month. But usually an artist can do about one comic a month because that's about a page a day. Um, but if there were times where he was doing Avengers and X-Men or Captain America and X-Men, that's, that's impressive. That's impressive speed. And I don't feel like. I don't feel like the quality ever suffered with it. Um, but let's see, what else did he do? He he created Alpha Flight. Uh, he gave them their own series. Um, and then he went to DC and he reinvigorated Superman. He kickstarted Superman again um, with the Man of Steel miniseries. Um, and then he came come back to Marvel, did Avengers West Coast, did She-Hulk, Submariner, wrote some Iron Man. Um, he's just had a really long history um, in the comics medium and, and, you know, just a huge talent and has shaped a lot of these characters for a more modern audience, I'd say. Yeah, so. yeah. incredible history and like. 
I always wonder with um, people that have worked on so many titles, like what was the standout? You know, what was the character you would return to? Yeah. Uh, what was the storyline that was just, you know, yours? And when you think about your career, how do you sum that up? So it would be interesting to hear his take on that. And I, I've heard some of the kind of X-Men scuffle. And I think there, there are various theories and, you know, blogs about it out there. But really, really interesting history that he has with, with all of that. Yeah. My, my understanding is that I think he thought, you know, working on Fantastic Four was kind of a dream come true for him. He loved uh, the Kirby Lee Fantastic Four run. And I think he tried to do a lot to, you know, kind of write in that in that vein, uh, kind of honor that. And I, I feel like he did. I, I love these Fantastic Fours that he's, he has done. Yeah. Yeah. So you were talking about the Invisible Woman, it's kind of interesting to me in this issue because, you know, they're all kind of part of this tiny town. I'm going to say tear in a tiny town as often as I can, tear in a tiny town. Uh, they're sort of in this town and their lives have been reconfigured through the Puppet Master is really the, the background there, but not the true villain behind the piece because Doom makes an appearance. Doom is a big part of the issue as well. Yeah. The Doctor Doom. Uh, major figure in the in the marvel universe and so you know it's interesting when we first meet invisible woman because she's kind of a housewife figure she's kind of yeah at at the house reed richards is walking out the door kind of running into some issues at his job as a professor um again doom kind of ties into that a little bit but she has this interesting kind of arc through the book because at first we see her as this housewife person, but she's really one of the, the big acting parts later on in the issue and kind of getting in, figuring out what's going on. Um, my favorite image of her in the book is kind of writing into Doom's room there where he's playing the piano, getting oh, yeah. major phantom vibes there, you know, with him with his mask off and she sneaks a peek at him without his mask off. Um, and gasps and that's what sort of gives her presence away but you know she she really takes some agency in the book so that's kind of cool to see and you mentioned stanley jack kirby uh, does your issue have the shorter story in the back yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah my I, i'm reading it digitally and it had that in the back so i was curious if uh if that was there too but just kind of Digging into this issue, it's really interesting to to see what they do with the characters and uh, knowing that passion on the part of John Byrne, because he's both the, you mentioned before we started recording, the writer and the artist, which is not something that you always see in these books. Yeah, no, that's, you know, it happens. Like uh, Walt Simonson, he, he did it with Thor. Um and it, it does happen, but you're right, it, it's rare. And so I think that kind of speaks to just how talented he was and how much he loved this stuff as, as a creator. You want to do a, maybe a little bit more in-depth uh, summary of the issue? Yeah, yeah. So um, again, we, we kind of open the pages and we see the origin story of the Fantastic Four playing out, very familiar story but it's a little bit different in that this time 
they crash in in this version and then we realize that we're actually inside the dream of i think it's johnny storm first. yeah i think johnny wakes up first with the dream yeah and so he hops in his vintage car very cool vintage car kind of a model t looking thing and he's like i'm gonna go visit reed and um he's kind of trying to decide if he wants to tell him about this dream and lo and behold to make a, a short comic short he soon discovers all of them are having the same dream or variations of the same dream where parts of their origin story parts of who they really are are coming back to them and they kind of gather around this common what's happening here kind of thing and lo and behold they are miniaturized robotic synth robot versions of themselves who've been created and put into a tiny town tear in a tiny town and uh the puppet master is kind of the first villain that we see he's he's really arranged this because his daughter is the love interest of ben Grimm, and he's always wanted her to be happy and so you see some of that like what had what would have happened if ben Grimm hadn't been turned into a giant pebble and that probably that might make someone angry. I, I should upgrade that. A, a bolder kind of character, not bold. You know what I mean? He's made of rock. You know, you know what I'm saying? I and do. so, <laughs> yeah, you get to see some of his his kind of tragedy play out there. But it turns out that, again, there's kind of another layer here. And Dr. Doom is actually the person that has and I teamed up with the puppet master and put this action into play. And he plays a part in the tiny town. He's the professor who gives Reed Richards a hard time at his job. And so uh, the Fantastic Four discover what's going on. They are outside of their bodies, out, out in the, the real world, you know, kind of hooked up to this machine and the puppet master then again comes back to play a pretty strong part because once they defeat doom, doom kind of has this scheme that he's just going to switch back to his outer body. But the puppet master foils that plan because uh, the puppet master is betrayed by doom through the story. So is it, is there any detail that you want to throw out that I kind of missed there in my. No, I, I, think, I think that's a good job summing it all up. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm working hard on my summarizing skills. I'm working yeah. hard on it. <laughs> Good job. But getting to see their interaction as a team is also a cool part of this. Sorry, you, you were going to say something there. No, I was just going to start with the, the critique, not myself, but is there anything that stands out um, to you about this issue? Like any, any of the art or any of the writing in general that, you know, you want to make mention of or yeah, well, I guess, you know, I kind of approach it and it's hard for me to find things that are wrong with comics and with stories that I love and characters that I love. I can do it, but I tend to focus more on the, you know, the positives. I love the storyline. I love kind of the surprises that come along. The first time I read this through, you know, I sh probably should have seen it coming that Dr. Doom was the kind of competitor character, but I didn't. Um and I guess, I mean, some of the art that I love is when panels do things that are a little bit different. So I think it's page 14 in the print edition, the top panel, where you kind of dive into a character's mind and 
kind of see that character sort of in the middle with Reed Richards there. Um, again, kind of diving into who these characters are is is kind of the cool idea of this. And it made me think about this idea that like, these are who these people are, they're authentic selves. And, you know, you kind of go through the book and they have different options that they could have played out uh, in their lives, but they keep coming back. And then, oh, I just got to the page where Dr. Doom is introduced, kind of looming over the tiny town. That's another one that stands out. Dr. Doom is just one of those characters. Um, and I, I've been kind of looking back through the Secret Wars stories, but the new one, um, 2015, I think was the publication on that, and the older one. And he is just this pivotal character in yeah. in the Marvel Universe. And, you know, kind of the classic foil of Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four. And to get to see him uh, presented in that villainous looming, looming over kind of way kind of gets the epicness of his character epicness yeah mm. i think that's a word um so those those are some things that stood out to me and i mean being a 20th anniversary issue i can see they wanted to do something that really explored the characters and i think john byrne accomplished that really well through the issue yeah absolutely um i'll start up with like that that splash page of of uh, two two page splash page of of Doctor Doom looming mm-hmm. over the tiny town. It's just it's just amazing art. I yeah. mean, his, his rendering on Doom's armor, like he can make this you know flat image look like uh, shaded armor. I mean, it's to me it's amazing, and in the town, like the detail that he put into these buildings like he could have phoned that those in you know what i mean like that that could have mm-hmm. been such a but he didn't like each one of these buildings has like their own little personality and they're all in this kind of blue color to you know uh to show that it's nighttime and everything mm-hmm. and the the four are in color themselves the four characters are in color themselves against all those blue buildings and then Doom on the Horizon. It's just, it's just wonderful art. Love when, a good splash page. Yeah. And then when you flip that page and it's it's another splash page, it's a one-page splash page of um, part two, which is there only two parts in it or is there three parts? I forget. Um, I think there might be three. I love that it's in parts. That reminds <laughs> me so much of older comics. Uh I just love that it's in parts. But the thing I was going to say is, again, with the detail that Byrne puts in, look at the, you know, the machinery that the Fantastic Four and Alicia and Franklin are in. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. And it looks so good not to, you know, uh, insult the digital format at all because I I have Marvel Unlimited and I love it. Um but seeing it on the original page with the original color scheme and how it looks on this old newsprint, or it's not newsprint, I don't guess, but it just looks so good and so classic. So fun. I also was kind of reminded of um, Twilight Zone at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, when Doom is like, well, it's time to get out of here. And he's getting ready to twist his little ring. And, um, that's when it's it's broken. I think you mentioned that. 
the puppet master breaks his ring so he can't leave. Yeah. That last panel, the way it's pulled back, you know, you have the huge crowd chasing him up the hill and it says, Doom, please. Knowing that should this robot body die, his mind, his soul will perish with it. He runs knowing that he can do so forever. For as a robot, he will not tire, will not need to pause for rest. But then neither will they. Neither will they. And it just reminds me of Twilight Zone. And I just love that. I love the, the image and the writing. Uh, it's just great. Uh, any other like bits of art or elements of story? That stand out to you? Yeah, yeah. The, so it is a two-parter. I was just kind of looking through to see how many episodes do we have in this. Uh, I also love that ending, and I hadn't thought about the Twilight Zone, but you know that link to like I think of the Burgess Meredith episode where he's uh, this person that wants to read forever and yep. gets his glasses broken. I mean, we have sort of that you know interesting kind of dynamic there with breaking the ring and. Uh, yeah, I also love how comics kind of work in this interesting way of diving into the dreams. And you were talking about some of the language that's used there that's like, neither will they. And yeah. how, you know, it can kind of play with that a little bit. They're so much like movies in my head of, you know, diving into what a character's thinking and getting to kind of jump back, back and forth in time, but also back and forth in reality of, here's what's happening in the dream. And then, you know, you get kind of panels that are in reality and then jumping back into the dream. I love how that plays out in the story in a very inception sort of way. Yeah, definitely. I was good. This is kind of off topic here, but what was up with miniaturization <laughs> as an element of story? Yeah. In this era? Like what, all those cartoons that we've talked about, like Spider-Man and maybe not his amazing friends, but the solo Spider-Man cartoon from 81 or something, there was a episode where he was, you know, miniaturized. There was a episode of the Hulk yeah. where he was miniaturized. Characters are always getting miniaturized. And then you had like, honey, I shrunk the kids. I wonder what's so engaging about that world. That that is an interesting question. It just seems to get visited so much. But you got, I mean, it's been a classic element of stories. You got, you know, the films of the 80s that I think about, like Inner Space. Um, yeah. That was one. And then um oh, what's the other? Honey, Honey, I Shrank the Kids. That was on the series with oh, yeah. Rick Moranis. It's it's that interesting thing of how do you create challenges for characters? You know, Superman died in the 90s, but he came back. How do uh, you do that? And I mean, it's kind of a cool story move to say, well, if I can't present this larger than life danger, you know, what happens when I shrink this character down? But I also think there's like the storyline inspiration. Like you see it happen with one character. I mentioned the death of Superman. How many characters have died at this point? in comics and then made some kind of a return so yeah that, that's kind of interesting and then you of course you have the the whole ant-man i mean that's the central element either getting larger getting smaller uh, and probably as an artist i mean i would think it would be really interesting to draw some of those things too and to imagine like everyday life everyday objects 
as being these challenges to some of these heroic characters. It's it's kind of the, you know, you have these big characters like Kang the Conqueror, Doctor Doom, Thanos, who are almost, I mean, Thanos in particular, almost a god kind right. of character. So it's kind of this thing of like, how do I create these challenges over and over again for these characters that are godlike in their powers and have gotten out of trouble so many times? Uh, that's, I mean, that's an interesting way to do it. Yeah. Kind of like that thing of most accidents occur at home. Yeah. <laughs> you were you were talking about it'd be interesting as an artist to probably draw some of those elements of the miniaturization story. And uh Actually, in the original issue, the pages aren't numbered, but there's a, a page where uh, the Fantastic Four are free of the city, but they're still in their miniature bodies. And, and the thing, uh, <laughs> it's in the middle of the page and you see like a close up of, of Doom's heel. Uh -huh. And the thing is right there. He says, I hear you talking, leader, man. Here comes my son, my, my Sunday best punch. It's a classic. <laughs> I just love that little image of the thing, you know, rearing back to uh, punch Doom in his heel, you yeah. know, of all places. It's just hilarious. Um, well, it, it works. I mean, in the next panel, there's Doom, almost like he's tripped on his shoelaces, like yeah, falling forward. I, I love, too, how, like, sounds are represented in comics, motions represented in comics. That's really cool to me, and I mean, if I say, if I throw out the onomatopoeia snipped, yeah. you know, like most people, yeah. that's yeah. Wolverine, exactly. Yeah. Or, yep, yep. Spider-Man. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. the these characters get associated with even these small details of like flip or snipped or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And you got that happening right there with that uh, image of doom kind of falling forward and the electricity kind of, you know, giving him some problems there. But yeah, yeah, uh, definitely an interesting thing. And there's a there are a couple of pages before that where, uh, again, the art is just really, really cool. At the top of the frame, you've got the characters in miniature form, and then you've got kind of a red panel. This is... Uh, Location 30 of the digital, kind of looking at, again, that use of language and sound and the action the characters are taking and, you know, they're kind of battling robots there. Oh, I just noticed that it says snap, crackle, pop. Yep. <laughs> is that, is it, isn't that the cereal? Yes. Ross yep. Christmas, is, is that right? That snap. is right. That's funny. I just noticed that. I think it's cool how Ben Grimm is the one that made the the sacrifice. You know, he has the yeah. most to lose. Like he was fine. He was he was living his best life in that town. Mm -hmm. With Alicia, he was human, but it, it's it's Ben Grimm. He's the one with the, the heart. Um, I was talking with my friend. His name's Russ, and he is a huge Fantastic Four fan. I, I would say it's. Uh, if not his favorite property, you know, top two. Um, and he was saying how he was thinking of Ben Graham, the thing as like the heart of like the entire Marvel universe. Yeah. And I could see that, you know, like he, 
he's that tortured monster in the in the early beginnings. But then he's later like the kind of brash, kind of loudmouth, but at his core, he just never gives up. And I mean, all, none of the heroes give up, right? That's mm -hmm. that's the thing that we love about him. They never give up. But uh, if I remember right, there was an old miniseries called Contest of Champions. I think I'm remembering that right, where it was kind of like a boxing match between, you know, the invincible alien and um, Earth champions. And like Colossus, I think, tried to tear up the, the ring to beat the guy. And he was instantly disqualified. And there were a couple more. But then it came down to the thing. <coughs> and the thing just gets the snot kicked out of him. It's like a boxing match. And he says some line that has always stuck in my head, which is, it's something like, I'm just too, too stupid to know when to give up. And like, he is obviously on his last leg. It's like a Rocky moment, but he still gets up and he still goes forward to, to, you know, to fight. And it's yeah. just, a, just a wonderful, just a wonderful character. And so ironic that, you know, the character that's made out of stone would be the heart. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm thinking about that scene in this book where Reed goes to seek out Ben and he's kind of in this place of solitude. And that's the part where he really kind of talks and says, yeah. you know, I don't want to leave. This is what I want. And, you know, he recognizes that that's not the reality, that it doesn't line up with what he really wants. But there is that kind of tortured aspect of the character. And yeah, you, you mentioned the like tortured monster part of it, the monster that's actually the hero. I mean, that totally plays out with his character. And you see that here as, as well as through his storylines. Yeah. And it, if memory serves, either I've seen this analyzed somewhere or I don't know. I don't think this was my own... Uh, yeah, I don't think I figured this out on my own my, my own conclusion, but the, the thing is basically Jack Kirby. Like I've heard that. I've yeah. Heard that. Full of heart. Uh, but kind of, you know, by all in all stories I've heard, Jack Kirby was like the sweetest human. Um, but kind of uh, you know, he was always chomping his cigar at mm -hmm. his board and muttering to himself as he drew. And you know, I could definitely see the the parallels to a character like Ben Grimm, the thing uh, with that cigar and the, the muttering, and you know that kind of blue collar background. Really, so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think it's awesome. Such and a I great. Think, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm, I'm done. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think if you were going to jump back into the Fantastic Four and really even get introduced to them, this is not a bad issue to do that with. Even though it's the 20th anniversary, even though there's, you know, all of these stories that have come before, um, as evidenced by all the characters on the cover that have interacted with and been introduced by the Fantastic Four, uh, not a bad issue to kind of dive into. And I like the way that it plays with that viewing the origin story but then recognizing oh wait what if yeah yeah um is there anything else you want to say about this issue i feel like i'm about tapped out on it yeah i mean there 
lots of obviously lots of great things that we could say just noticing the the image of Ben Grimm kind of turning from the miniaturized character to you know the thing um, great transformation scene there use of color use of effects uh, but definitely definitely an issue worth checking out I'm glad you mentioned it I'm glad that you recommended it as the first issue for us to dive into and i feel like comiXology should owe me some like ad dollars or something yeah. like that but uh yeah. yeah so uh thank you for leading me through the marvel universe being a dc comics guy and looking yeah. forward to to the next ones yeah that panel where he turns into the thing is kind of hulkish isn't mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. me a lot of bruce turning into the hulk how many times that's been uh you know, portrayed. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, and then, sorry, I said I'm done, and now I just keep talking about the issue. But it's a good Alicia, one. Yeah, Alicia walks in. Read. I thought I heard. Oh, and then you know, Ben freaks out. Yeah. Because she can see in this in their miniaturized form, she can see, and so for the first time, she sees him. What what she looks like, but of course, you know. She still loves him, and they they kiss and everything, and it's a it's a it's a heartfelt little moment. Very nice. And you get the you get his emotions through. I mean, there are the things that he's saying there, but really the the drawing there is is excellent. Kind of those expressions of going through this process too. Yep, absolutely. Uh, just as a as a note, because if anyone does pick up the original issue or like you say, the digital, there is a backup story. And what that is, is um, the Fantastic Four had a cartoon in the 70s. And this is kind of like the cartoon storyboards fleshed out, made into a comic. So Jack Kirby did break down for that cartoon, like did the uh, uh, storyboards for that cartoon and I think they've kind of taken the storyboards and fleshed them out a little bit to make this uh backup feature this the challenge of Dr. Doom um so that, that's just what that is we didn't think we should talk about that one too much I don't think but uh it is kind of interesting Marvel history you got Herbie the robot instead of Johnny in that one uh he was the Herbie was the fourth member of the FF in that cartoon instead of the torch. And I heard it was either because they didn't want kids lighting themselves on fire after seeing that on a cartoon to try to imitate him or that the human torch had been kind of optioned for another project. Uh, Interesting. I want to say it was live action, which I don't know how they would have done that in the 70s. but. That would have been a challenge. And how he would have operated without the FF, but yeah, whatever. What's next on our agenda? What's uh, What issue would you like to cover next? Well, before we dive into that, I, I was going to say, you know, you got the classic issue there, and I've been thinking, we were at a convention last week, last weekend, and there's just this smell of older comics. I was talking to one of the dealers there about it, the comic shop owners. And I, I have a recommendation for anybody out there that knows about fragrances. I'm thinking that old comic smell could be a fragrance for men. Yeah. I mean, it could be a fragrance for women, non-binary folks. 
but definitely thinking that that could be a fragrance that's out there on the market um, if anybody's feeling enterprising because it has its own unique odor and those of us that have really enjoyed comics from those you know ages and ages ago we recognize that smell lots of memories of the old comic smell yeah, I'm smelling this one right now. And I think that's what we're going to do for about the next three, four minutes. Just let me sit here and smell this. Yeah, just just breathe it in. I think that'd make for a good podcast. Just dead quiet as I smell it. Three or four minutes of deep, heavy sniffing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but next up, sorry, <laughs> uh, we got Werewolf by Night 15. 15. Okay. Is that, uh, now you mentioned that before, that's not the first Moon Knight, is it, or is it? Oh, I was thinking it was 15. So you are the you are the Marvel expert. Um, I was thinking that we had that one queued up. Maybe that's his next appearance. 32, oh my goodness. 32. Okay. 32, why do I have 15 pulled up here? I don't actually have 15. For some reason, I was thinking the number 15 in my head, but it is 32. I just divided it by half and subtracted two. I don't know why I did that. But yeah, Werewolf by Night 32 is uh, the one that is next up, I do believe. Yeah, so the first appearance of Moon Knight, who's recently made his MCU um, debut. And um, yeah, that'll be fun to analyze yeah. that. Why was I thinking the number 15? Is it like, am I thinking the Taylor Swift song? I don't know. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah, we'll we'll edit that part out. <laughs> so you were going to mention something else that happened a couple of days ago. You want to talk about that? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have our trivia just a couple of days ago. We had National Spider-Man Day. So we would we thought we would celebrate that with an issue of Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but a little bit of comic trivia is that Spotty made his big splash on the world in Amazing Fantasy 15. Uh, I believe it was August 10th of 1962. Um, the comic had been called Amazing Adult Fantasy, but apparently a lot of teenagers wrote in saying, uh, yeah, that's kind of makes it uncomfortable to buy could you and so they changed it for the very last issue they changed it to just amazing fantasy and so the very last issue was uh the debut of spider-man and there were several months because this was the 60s several months before they realized what a hit they had on their hands and uh then of course they had Amazing Spider-Man number one, and I believe the Fantastic Four are in that issue with him. So there's our tie. There's our connection. There it is. There it is. Yeah. And we do have an email address out there for folks that want to get in touch with us. It is thecomicobsessive at gmail.com. So if you've got questions, comments, stories of your comics past, anecdotes, histories, any anything that you want to get in touch with, if you're a listener out there, we we have a Gmail and everything. It is it is major big stuff. So yep. make sure to go out to that. And uh, I think did we say last time at the end of the episodes we're going to have like a like a sign off like stay obsessive, stay obsessive, yeah, stay obsessive about comics, not about Romania or yeah. things like that. But comics is a pretty good obsession to stay obsessed yeah. with. Why don't you uh, give the, the farewell address there and we'll sign off. All right. We, we will sign off officially. 
Looking forward to talking about the next issue as always. And stay obsessive about comics.